right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and on today's edition, we continue to wrap up the KU football season. Wait, it's over? The guaranteed rate ball. I know, sadly. Oh, no more KU I had no idea. For, That's uh, terrible. Nine more months. Oh. That's brutal, isn't it? Wow. You just ruined my day. I well, had no idea. Think about I it. I had no it, idea. It, 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 it's crazy how fast the sports season comes, and, and theoretically, like if we're just viewing it as, because we mostly talk KU football, KU basketball, it's basically seven months, well, okay. September through it's March. It's the age-old question of... You may have seen that. T- mm-hmm. There was a tweet that when I, it was it was uh, when the Steelers and the Patriots were playing on Thursday Night Football, and it was like, by the time June rolls around, you're going to be begging for Steelers Patriots to play each other in June. You know? Yeah, and I don't know. I go that far. I just more so mean from like, think about this. We only have three months left, and then we're back in the off season. That doesn't sound fun, does it? No. Back in the doldrums of oh, trying to terrible. scrap for time, you know? Sounds horrible. Uh, but anyway, we're going to be recapping the, the season continuously on today's show. We got our RCST mailbag at 405. So if you want to get any last second questions in, at RCST1320 on Twitter. Please. And uh, email us, RCST1320am at gmail.com. Uh, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us in about 35 minutes. And right now, we also will have Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us to break down what's gone wrong with the Chiefs coming uh, up at 440. I'll just I'll just let you know right now. Everything. Spoiler alert. Everything. <laughs> and defense. Defense has been good. No. No? no they've, been, they've been good. Okay. <laughs> they've been good. All right, let's start with our KU football season recap. Uh, biggest takeaways and, and stuff. We're going to do this in the same way that we would recap games we would talk biggest positive negative neutral and uh then we we would do our heroes and villains so we're going to do that but from the season outlook here Mm. let's start here what is the biggest positive to come from this full season for ku football you won nine games i mean that's pretty pretty big positive that's a huge positive right i mean that's awesome since 2007 yeah, 07 season. So you win nine games. Won a bowl game for the first huge, time since 08. Huge positive. Winning the bowl game, obviously huge positive. You know, we kind of talked about it going into that with the fact that you were a double-digit favorite, really, up basically up, up right up until there was some crazy betting at the end there. But double-digit favorite against a non-Power 5 team in a bowl game. And if you were to lose that game, you would have felt a lot more deflated than you did when you lost to Arkansas, just given the circumstances. But guess what? Don't have to worry about that because you went out and, and handled your business and won the game. So, winning a bowl game, winning nine games, those are both huge positives. Uh, Lance Leipold seemingly re re doubling down on his commitment to Kansas. Right? I mean, it, it seems so long ago, but remember, you know, there was the Michigan concerns. State rumors. Yeah. yeah, there was concerns earlier in the season. You know, so all that stuff goes away. That's a big positive. You're, you're set there. And then, I, I guess, I don't know really if you really. I don't know where you'd classify this, but I was just thinking the stadium reconstruction announcement, the stadium stuff. I I mean, I guess that's a positive. Long overdue, right? yeah. But it's not it's not really a 
like a positive from the season. It's more like a, a something future positive, happened, I guess. I guess I don't I, know. I mean, I mean, Jason Bean has to be on on this list of biggest positives from the season. I mean, oh, the, the come yeah. up that he had was pretty incredible. Yeah, and the finish the way he did also pretty incredible. Absolutely. Um, I, I think the recruiting prowess that they showed because we always knew this staff was good at developing and you know good at evaluating talent and finding kind of hidden gems, I guess, so to speak. That's kind of been proven from from what they've done at their past stops and, and everything. But now you're showing that you're recruiting like high-level players. Like what you're getting with Dak Brinkley and Deshaun Warner and Isaiah Marshall and some of these guys is uh, pretty, pretty incredible. And you're recruiting at an even yeah. higher level than like the Les Miles staff, which that was what they were supposed to be, you know, best at. So um, the recruiting prowess, I, th- I think we're learning more about that, that yeah. that's going to be a big positive. And I think an extension of that is just retainment, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys that KU got committed were committed over the summer, and we've seen that happen many times. There's a you could you could build an all pro team of guys that were at one point committed to KU for, you know, a couple days yeah. or whatever, right? So you get some of these guys committed. A guy like Deshaun Warner, a guy like Isaiah Marshall, you know, guys that really ended up kind of blowing up on the recruiting trail in some of their senior seasons. You know, Deshaun Warner getting offers from Ohio State and Michigan, Isaiah Marshall going out and and becoming uh, the player of the year in the state of Michigan and actually beating the number one overall recruit in the class of 25 in the title game. Uh, and those guys never wavered in their commitment, and they stayed committed to Kansas the whole way, all the way up until signing day, and there was no shenanigans on signing day like you may have seen from some other schools or with top recruits around the country. So that really, just, just the retainment, just the fact that you went out, you found some talent, some really, really good players, got in early with them, got them committed, but then it wasn't like they these guys committed to KU and then they started getting bigger offers and were like, wait a second, why in the hell would I want to go play for Kansas when I'm getting offered by these other top schools? No, you kept all those guys. Yeah, that's pretty cool to have. And uh, obviously that's a skill that is going to have to continue for you and continue to be important. Yeah. I, I think this goes in line with the retention stuff because it helps develop this. Uh, it feels like one of the big positives for me that came from this season was the depth the KU has been able to build up. Like, think about, I mean, yeah. I mean, just look at the quarterback position, right? You had three sure. guys that played this year, and I think all filled in admirably to what they had to do, especially when you look at, you know, Jason Mead. But I, I thought Cole Ballard played well, all things considered there. Um, you look at the depth that they've established on the offensive line because the offensive line had some injuries this year. You had to deal yeah. with, right? But but you felt yeah. like you were six, seven, eight, nine guys deep. Um, and you think about, like, Logan Brown basically being out for the season. He didn't even make an impact as part of this that we thought kind of would. Uh, they, they had that depth on the offensive line. They had depth on the defensive line. Like, um, I don't know that the interior defensive line, the defensive tackle, was a strength, like, compared to the rest of the Big 12 for KU. But it wasn't, like, just bad, I guess. Like, like I looked to the bowl game. KU had five defensive tackles graded between basically 61 and 66 on Pro Football Focus, which basically is like an average starter. So you didn't have anybody who was all-conference, all-American. But you had yeah. five at least. Like, like you had depth, and that was even after you lost Gage Keys. Um, I, I think you had you know good depth in, in the DB room when you look at all the safeties you have and, and the, uh, kind of the corner room for the future when you look at it. So I, I think the way that they've built up the depth is a real strength that you saw – affect this season and will be a future positive for KU moving ahead. Yeah, I think that goes back to roster management and talent development, right? You think about how some of the previous regimes of Kansas football handled basically trying to get KU relevant again, 
And a lot of times it resulted in sort of gutting of the rosters or, you know, not having really that, that depth that you could rely on. And when you're a Power 5 program, I mean, listen, this is what we talk about time and time again when you see, especially with conference realignment, these teams coming from Group 5 to Power 5, the number one reason why a lot of them don't have success right away is because there is a not so much a talent gap between your best players and the other team's best players, but it's your second best player, your third best player, your fourth best player, down your depth chart, where you get worn down if you're a group of five team. And Kansas was, I mean, Kansas was basically at that level for a while, but now they're not. And Lance Leipold has done a great job of, of managing the roster, of recruiting, of developing talent to where now you do feel like you lose a guy and it's not, okay, well, we don't even know what's, what we're going to do now if we have injuries. Uh, so, yeah, roster management, I think, is is definitely a big positive that Lance Leipold seems to have a very good grip on uh, going forward, and uh, that's that's really, really good to see because in this day and age of college football, college football coaches are no longer just college football coaches. They are basically the, gen- the general managers and CEOs of the program, To meaning you have to be thinking, you have to be very, very forward thinking about what you want to do to build your roster and how you want to use your depth because if you're just if you tunnel vision too much you're going to end up in the future having significant problems and I don't think Kansas has done that at all. The other biggest positive from the season was just the defense. The the amount of improvement you had. And this has now been something that has improved each of the last 3 years. You go back to 2021, they set kind of a low bar if you're just I guess viewing it from that standpoint point because uh 2021 they gave up 42.2 points per game it was 129th in the country of 130 teams last year it moved up to 35.5 points per game so about a touchdown better which is pretty good year over year but because they were so far down that only improved them from 129th to 124th of 131 teams oh then you made the big jump this year when you give up just 26.5 points per game, so nine points better, and that's still they have room to go because that's 67th of 133 teams, so about yeah. middle of the pack. But based on where you were, that is a huge jump for what this defense did. And, like, think about it. Like, KU last year, the offense was arguably better, 35.6 points per game. This year, 34.8. And part of that I don't necessarily think was – just in, like, it, it had to do with injury, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you had a revolving door at right? the quarterback position. Yeah, so, so I, I think injury is the only reason why that, that output was maybe a little bit lower there. But sure. point being, you basically had slightly lower output offensively, but had a much better season because of the defensive improvement. And, and there's a lot to like about the defensive improvement and some players you could have coming back that make you feel like that is sustainable. I'll toss out this one. Uh, how about just home field advantage for Kansas? Mm-hmm. There was clearly... The booth clearly had an impact for KU when they played at home. And that's not something that you could say about KU football, right? You have the infamous quote from David Beatty that was basically like, well, it's kind of a reverse home field advantage because teams don't know what to do when there's only three fans there. Now it's you felt like this season you legitimately had a real home field advantage, and it showed, right? KU yeah. was was definitively better at home, especially the defense was really good at home. And it was clear that there the atmosphere cultivated by the fans – and created by by the atmosphere there, by the fans, it, it clearly helped Kansas, and it clearly clearly impacted their play at home. And uh, I would add home field advantage as a as a positive. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Uh, what about some of the biggest negatives though coming from the season? I think the number one that sticks in my mind is is got to be the Jalen Daniels health status, right? Yeah, the Jalen Daniels saga. Yeah, or whatever you want to call it, where uh, you know again, kind of some smoke and mirrors from KU that 
increases a lot of speculation that makes things kind of muddied up the waters a little bit in a negative way. And then, you know, who knows and yada, 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 whatever. And, and uh, at the end of the day, though, Kansas did, I think they were able to kind of move beyond it and really focus on what was happening on the field. And it, and Jason Bean obviously played very, very well. But, but yeah, the Jalen Daniels situation, certainly the biggest negative. I mean, anytime you have a preseason player of the year, offensive or defensive, and he plays in, what, three games, two games? That's not good. That's bad. That's really, really not good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then the handling of the situation, I think, I guess just personally I feel like probably could have been handled better, but I guess it ended up working out on the end anyways. Uh, so that's definitely a huge negative because you do feel like Jalen Daniels still gives you the highest possible ceiling and when you look at this, how the season unfolded for Kansas, well, it was a huge positive that you win nine games, that you win a bowl game. If you factor in Jalen Daniels' ceiling and what he could do for the offense, maybe you beat K-State, maybe you beat Texas Tech. You know, there's two wins right there. Mm-hmm. Maybe you beat Oklahoma State. Maybe they you're in the New Year's Six Bowl. You're 11 and 1. Maybe right? you beat Texas and you're in the college football playoff. <laughs> Right. <laughs> By the way, if they, if that would have happened, if Kansas would have been the team that was twelve and one and won the Big Twelve in this hypothetical world, they're left out for sure. They're left out for Florida State, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And we'd all be sitting there like, how did they would no Kansas? If that happened, K would be like eighth. <laughs> Georgia no would respect. definitely. Georgia would, would definitely be, be ahead of them. I think you're right. Georgia would definitely. Ohio no, State would be yeah. ahead of them too. There'd just be no respect. They'd be like, no. They, we're they not would literally be like ninth. That's kind of funny. Uh, other biggest negatives, I, I think it still feels like you're you're kind of trying to figure out the special teams. Yeah, I the first bit, half of the season no, looked that's a lot what, better. That's the thing is, like, you started off actually pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking, okay, you know, we're good here. Rubber stamped. Boom. Good. And then, <laughs> Is the special beep! teams this year what the run defense was last year? What? Is the special teams <laughs> this year... What the run defense was last year? No, because the run defense, if you remember, it was like the run defense was like peaks and valleys. It was like great one week, bad, bad, then good, mm-hmm. then like really good, then bad. It was it was throughout the whole season. Special teams, I feel like, was you had the first like quarter or third of the season that was really good, and then cliff, and then bad the rest mm-hmm. of the way. Basically, I mean, I mean, in the second half of the season, it was there one game where special teams you felt like was good. Or, like, had an advantage, even. Yeah, or, like, yeah. Like, maybe the, off the top of my head, maybe the Texas Tech game was, like, a neutral. I, I don't remember enough. Maybe that, that one was actually a bad one. I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right, though. Uh, there there yeah, wasn't so a game it was where just, certainly... fell off like a cliff, went. and then, you know, yeah. not great. Uh, so, because you felt like South Seth Keller was, was good, but then he had some issues with distance, and O&P never really wrestled the job away. And, and you know, we, we've talked about the punting with Damon Greaves, where... On one hand, it seems like he's mastered the art of not giving up a return, but he's only kicking the ball 38 yards, or 35 yards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Definitely back to the drawing board on that one. You wonder how aggressive KU might be uh, in the transfer portal. I mean, you think about how aggressive they were last season going out and getting some of these guys. Uh, and now with the issues that they still had, is it possible that KU tries to add another kicker via the portal? Is it possible they tried to add another punter? of the portal I, I don't know real questions i don't know uh i think beyond that just you know when you do lose players to the transfer portal which this is gonna happen to everyone so maybe it shouldn't be big as negative and then the the loss to k-state i think all the other losses are are 
I guess, easier to stomach in some way, whether it was like, okay, we get it, Cole Ballard against Texas Tech or whatever. Yeah, the way that one went, it's still tough to stomach that it feels like you had them. You had it, – it's, it's, I think I said this after the week of, it was the, uh, the Dennis Green, the Arizona Cardinals coach from when they lost that game to the Bears where they gave up like three defensive and special teams touchdowns. And he was like, they are who they thought they were or, or who they we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. That's, that's how that game felt, right? Um, so those would be the negative. Yeah. What about the biggest neutral? Yeah, because I don't want to get too much back into that game. We it, it was it was sad. Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was sad. It was really really sad. Uh, biggest neutrals, biggest neutrals. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. What would do you, it be? You okay, I I don't know. Maybe this is a negative in general. Losing Andy Kotelnicki in general is a negative because he's he's a good offensive coordinator, but. I, I yeah. can see it being classified as a neutral. One, we just saw Jim Zabrowski. seemed like everything was running fine there. Two, you got Jeff Grimes, who's a highly sought-after offensive coordinator. Three, the reason you lost Andy Kotelnicki is because you're having success, and that is a good thing. Yeah. And inherently, you're going to lose assistant coaches well, and coordinators eventually if you're doing so well. So, let me ask you this. KU goes 6-6. Six and six. Does Andy Kotelnicki still go to Penn State? Maybe. If they're averaging 35 a game, which they were. Yeah. I don't know. I was just curious about that. That's a question. Uh, the other biggest neutral for me would be the idea that you won a ton of games. You won nine games. You should be very happy. And this is obviously an A-plus successful season. Oh, sure. But you also do feel like you could have won more. That yeah. you easily could have won 10-11. And listen, you know? leaving something on the table, while it is annoying, it does make you kind of sit back and say, all right. This team's pretty good. You have a you have a ceiling that's higher than what you got through this season, and you feel pretty close to getting there. Mm-hmm. Go out, get it done next season. All right, what about he- biggest heroes and villains of the season? Let's start with our biggest heroes of the season for KU. Jason start with Bain, the offense side of the ball. Jason Bean's got to be number one. Yeah, I think so. Jason Bean and Devin Neal. Devin Those Neal. are your biggest heroes on offense, for sure. What about L.J. Arnold? I, I mean, L.J. Arnold, yeah. the second half of the season specifically. Yeah. Because I remember the first like half of the season, he had like 250 Receiving yards, I think he went for like 500, 600 over the last half. Yeah. Um, Jared Casey, just in general, <laughs> folklore, hero, always. Yeah. yeah. Dominic yeah, Cooney, do you lose some luster for not playing in the bowl game? No, I don't think so. Are heroes allowed no. to opt out? Uh, think if somebody yeah, I think a hero can opt out. Goes up to Superman, and he's like, hey, that lady's about to fall off a bridge. He's like, I'm sitting this one out. I don't have a problem with that. Well, I don't have a problem with the idea of a player sitting out, so maybe that's a bad comparison. I'm just saying, in in the guise of us talking about heroes. No, I get it. Well, I'm trying to think is there's got to be a real world example of a hero sitting out. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of like all the superhero movies I watched. Like, was there a moment where it was like he was just like? I think Batman has ah. like load management days. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. You gotta get rested up. Yeah, because Alfred has to stitch him up all the time because he's always <laughs> he getting beat always up. Help. Okay. Uh, Michael Ford, I think, is kind of an unsung hero of the season for KU. He was great. Um, flexible. Flexible. Yeah. Really highly graded. Uh, one of the highest graded offensive guards in the entire Big 12 and in the country this year. Uh, defensive heroes for KU. Austin, Austin Booker. Booker. But sure. again, does that one get eliminated? Because at least with Dominic Pooney, it's he, like he's he's sitting out of the bowl game and he's going pro. Is his last if time Austin he's a Booker senior. If then I don't think you can... Then I'm open to the idea of eliminating retroactively, even though he had an unbelievable season. But he did save the pass rush for KU this year. He had an unbelievable year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say he's still a hero. Uh, Melo Dotson, hero. I think just in general, like all the KU DBs. 
Sure. Marvin yeah, Grant too. had a great year. Uh, Kenny Logan had a really good year. Uh, Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson were obviously, you know, locked down corners for you on the yeah. outside. Melo Dotson, the pick sixes. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant, just the general being elite. Did you know also what's crazy with Melo Dotson is I, I was looking at Pro Football Focus the other day, surfing through some, you know, numbers. He led the Big 12 in most dropped interceptions, too. So he really? could have had hmm. a billion interceptions, basically. I think, when did he crazy. drop in? Oh, let's see. He dropped one against, one against Cincinnati, Tech. which could have been another pick six. Did he drop one against Texas Tech, too? Maybe. He might have. I know there was the uh, Kobe one against Oklahoma State, and then, yeah, the Mellow one against Cincinnati. But anyway. Uh, um, yeah, the Kobe one, yeah. Rich Miller one against K-State. Anyway, uh, Craig Young had a really good year. Yeah. And he just looks like a superhero. Yeah. Chiseled, well, he's the type fast, of superhero strong. where he just does it all. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. He can do it all. Mr. Incredible. J.B. Brown, my hero. <laughs> Your personal hero. My personal hero. Yeah. Uh, special teams, can you pick anyone? <sighs> Damon Greaves, a hero? Trevor Wilson? No, he but muffed. he muffed punts. Yeah. But he did have some punt return for touchdowns. He had one. So he's a... Does that account for everything? You, know. you would. I mean, you would gladly change him having that punt return for touchdown against UCF for him to just catch fair catch the ball against K-State, right? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you won, you, you won the UCF game by 30, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I don't think you can pick really anyone there. Okay, uh, what fine. about the biggest villains of the year? Who stands out? When you think back to the season, who are the biggest villains? Because for me, there's, there's, I guess, three obvious ones. If we want to throw injuries as a villain, but that's always a villain for every football team. Okay. Will Howard. I mean, he's your rival's quarterback. Yeah. He beats you after the game. Little he calls you little brother, all that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Central Florida fans. Yeah. The Golden Knights. <laughs> the Golden Knights. The four Golden Knights fans. And the refs in the UNLV and Oklahoma State games. Yeah. 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 That's pretty bad. Is there anyone else that sticks out? Because, like, I well, feel like some of the other villains we had were more. I, I don't know if I talked about this on air, but uh, a villain of mine or a villain that I am aware of is uh, my friends and I, and I assisted set up a tailgate before the Oklahoma game and uh, somebody stole it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody stole the tailgate. So somebody just what did you have no, at no, the no. tailgate? He stole it and then he came back the next week and gave it back. So he found exactly where you were, this person. So it's a it's a very complicated Seems like a very complicated story. It's a very complicated story. story. Yeah. Can you summarize this in about a minute? The tailgate was like a it was like a tailgate, so tent, chairs, tables, you know, coolers. Stolen. Buy a new tailgate. Was there food and beer too? There was beer. There okay. was alcohol. Buy a new tailgate, set up in the exact same spot as we did the week before. Guy comes back, says, hey, are you the people that had this stuff stolen last week? Yes. Oh, I have your stuff. I'm going to give it back. So, so what, I think, this is the Oklahoma but, game, right? There was the, so, the yeah. lightning delay? Yeah. Was it just the guy was being a good Samaritan? I, I think when so you it was after stolen, the game. that makes it sound like it was, it was a criminal. Well, I think, I think he was again, just a nice good Samaritan. It depends on who you ask. Okay. Okay. If you want to view the world in a half glass full, in a glass half full standpoint, the guy was like, yeah, KU comes and throws away stuff you leave on the hill sometimes, so I, like, picked it all up. Or you could say, well, he stole it, but then he felt bad because he saw that we came back in the exact same spot and give it No, back. I think you give the glass half full because think about it. He was under no – there was no part of him that, that like, one of your – it wasn't one of your people, like, recognized him. He didn't have to say anything. You guys would have never known he took the stuff. Yeah, but <laughs> – he didn't have know. to Again, say anything. It's a very complicated story. I think he, I it's think a complicated you're, uh, story. I don't think you're giving this guy enough credit. It's a complicated story. In fact, he's a hero for me. Because he <laughs> he told the truth. He protected your stuff from the lightning. I think he's the hero of the season. 
All right, we're going to be joined by Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, coming up here uh, shortly in later this hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We also got Jesse Newell at 440, RCST mailbag at 405. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN. We've got our mailbag coming up at 405. Jesse Newell, hop on with us at 440. Joined now in studio by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. And Brian, hope uh, everything's well with you and, and coming back from Phoenix and, and everything. First time that I've got to sit here and, and talk about a KU Bowl win afterwards. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. I, I guess... You never think it's going to be as long as it is, and, and I think ideally it's not going to be as, as long again with, with how everything is, is rolling this next time. But what kind of sense of emotion did you get after the game interacting with whether it was you know the team or, or the fan base and, and stuff about kind of what this, this meant? Well, it means a lot. And to put it in perspective, when we won in Tempe in 2008, I was sitting in your chair as mm-hmm. the KLWN Sports Director, Rock Talk Sports Talk host. I got to fill in for Bob Davis because that same day – we played Albany in men's basketball, <laughs> and that particular year, their marketing geniuses at Albany said, you need to call us you Albany <laughs> On every reference, we are you Albany. Uh, but anyways, I, that was a big day for me because I got to fill in for Bob, and then obviously KU torched Minnesota, but it was 15 long years in between. And uh, to get to see Kansas back in the bowl picture last year, have such a respectful showing, but didn't quite get the win. This year, you come up with the big win. It just it all feels so sustainable going forward in a different kind of way than it felt in 07, 08, 09 under Mangino because you started to sense that uh, some of Mangino's assistants were on their way out and uh, there maybe wasn't quite the same coaching continuity, overall culture continuity, all that. This, with Leipold, even though we've lost Andy Kotelnicki, you know, th- this feels different. And with a new stadium on the way, with the unbelievable chemistry and just synergy you have right now between Chancellor Gerard, Travis Goff, Lance Leipold, it feels built to last. And that feels different. So I think for everybody, it was, you know, raise a glass, let's celebrate. It's been 15 years, yada, yada. But Many folks post game were already talking about next mm-hmm. year, and, and part of that is twofold. One, the fact that our conference looks so different starting next year, and it is really wide open and up for grabs. And then two, the playoff format's expanding to twelve next year, and so when you go from being one of the most junior laden teams in all of college football this year to now next season a club that could have as many seniors as any, and oh yeah, the playoff format field just got tripled in size, and oh yeah, the Big Twelve's wide freaking open. <laughs> I think the narrative shifted pretty quickly as I was out mingling with fans after the game. We were all like, wow, Jason Bean's great, 49 points, but what about next year? Yeah. You know, so it, it's amazing how greedy we get all of a sudden, but uh, that was fun, man. And uh, to see Jason have his moment, I know we talked about it a little bit last week and foreshadowing the possibility of that. Right here on KLWS mm-hmm. Rock Talk Sports Talk, we said it was going to go from Jason Swanson, <laughs> offensive Jason MVP, Bean. to Jason Bean, offensive MVP, and it happened. But what an amazing redemption story. And I tweeted about this right after the game because as I was watching him celebrate, hoisting that trophy above his head and his face plastered all over the jumbotron there at Chase Field, I couldn't help but think about the end of last season and the airmailed pass in triple overtime versus Arkansas in Memphis and watching the look on his face as his teammates tried to console him and Kansas was ushered off the field and you had players down on the ground just 
shocked in disbelief and, and emotion. I remember Travis Goff, I think, picking Kenny Logan up off the ground and mm-hmm. just what a gut-wrenching scene that was. And then to fast forward and watch the celebration and watch Jason up on stage and Kenny up on stage getting defensive player of the game. And it, it was just such a cool experience. And it made me want to sit down and, and chronicle it a little bit. And we've talked about this on this show. It's not exactly breaking news. But in the days that followed that loss to Arkansas, he really thought he might leave. And the fan criticism, the social media blasting he took, I mean, we talk about it all the time. The only guy that can truly relate is probably David McCormick, who also yeah. wound up getting great redemption, redemption yeah. and the last laugh and all that. But he elected to come back. And in an era where the transfer portal is so popular and players – you know, that might not even be disgruntled. They just get beat out for a position as they're like, all right, peace, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. It's the easy thing to do, to pull the, the ripcord and, and take the parachute out of there. He swam upstream. He did the opposite. He dug in. He decided, you know what, the going got tough, but I'm going to get tougher. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to believe in these guys around me. And I really think the brotherhood that they've created, the culture that Matt Gildersleeve is such a huge part of as their culture coach on top of their strength coach, and the belief that he had in Leipold and Kotelnicki that they'd find a way to utilize him somehow is why he came back. Because he could have gone and had a guaranteed starting spot or at least guaranteed reps more so than what he had at Kansas. But what a great redemption story. What a great story, a blueprint for sticking it out and and watching how you can completely in one year's time change the narrative, answer your critics, submit your legacy. It's the story of Jason Bean. And he's a guy that, that for us that have followed KU football in this era will always remember. I'm not saying he's up there with with some of the all-time greats, though the numbers will will tell you he should be based on passing touchdowns and that kind of thing. I mean, there's an alternate universe where he never gets hurt in the K-State game in 2021. Jalen never becomes the quarterback, and who knows what the numbers look like. Who knows, yeah. Uh, I know some people are pushing for like ring of honor inclusion and all that. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm not saying he should, but I'm just saying whatever his legacy is, it's night and day different than what it could have been, and it's even more amplified in an impressive way because in the era where it was popular to just cut and run, he stuck and stayed. And that, to me, makes me respect him all the more. And this season that was truly on the brink when Jalen's back flared up was saved by a lot of guys, but but maybe none more so than, than number nine, Jason B. To go along with that story narrative, so to speak, I mentioned this to Derek a couple times. It, to me, it felt like KU, maybe, or maybe, maybe the fans, I guess, needed, I felt like they needed a definitive moment to say, all right, we've closed the book on the previous chapter of KU football. Now, finally, we can start writing this new chapter of Lance Leipold and everything. Do you think this this win for UNLV was, was that moment? Do you think this was that moment of, okay, now we're done. We're totally done. The last vestiges of thinking the worst or thinking, oh, gosh, here we go again. That's all over. It's the new era now. Hopefully we've had a string of those leading up to this. You know, obviously beating Oklahoma, first top 10 regular season win in nearly 30 years, um, all of that feeds into this some of the road victories remember we went a decade without winning on the road and you got to circle those two but to your point nick you know and, and how old were you in, in 08 when we won over minnesota uh i would have been 10 you would have been 10 yeah i mean for, for a lot of guys your age like this is the first they remember of ku winning a bowl game so you know i, I don't want to put this one win over anything like oklahoma or texas or something like that 
But uh, to me, like I said, it feels so sustainable. And to see these guys get their just due, to see them posing with the trophy, sitting in the showers to recreate the Kobe Bryant NBA championship pose. I mean, we just haven't seen that. I mean, social media wasn't what it is now 15 years ago. And so to see KU football and these guys having fun, their moment to shine, their 15 minutes of fame, the uh, the social media comparisons from LJ's catch to Randy Moss and stuff like that, all, all the sports center love i mean it was it was just neat and I, th- I think to your point nick it's a standalone game during bowl season so you do have more eyes on you and uh and it's a postseason victory something we haven't had uh, you know but twice in your lifetime and, and not really in your you know adulthood at all so i think it is big in that regard and to me, how you back it up from here is is what really becomes important because, like I said, the expectations are about to be huge. And uh, I, I think this Kansas team should be looked at as one of the top two teams to beat in the Big 12 next year. And I feel like, you know, if you're in that conversation, you're in the college football playoff conversation. You got to stay healthy. Number six becomes as yep. important as any Jalen Daniels. And uh, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know he's fired up. And he was tweeting again about his team, which was good to see. I, I, he was out there as a captain for the coin toss, which was great to see. So uh, the, the road to cementing his legacy begins now as we wrap up what Jason Bean just did with his. We were talking biggest positives for the season and some of our biggest takeaways overall for the season, not just the bowl game. Uh, for 13 games for KU earlier on in the show. Uh, I thought maybe the biggest positive for me was the progression of the defense this year from from what we saw last year to making another jump this year. But, you know, there were some other ones that certainly stood out, Jason Bean and, and everything else, um, uh, their level of recruiting that they're certainly getting to. When you think back to the biggest positive that, that you're going to take away from this season, what will that be? Maybe you guys can uh, look this up as I'm talking because my mind immediately went where yours did, and, and that's defense and total mm-hmm. defense. You know, we were 121st in the country in total defense last year, and you saw raw talent, and you knew it had to get better with just more seasoning and experience for these guys. But I think there was there was real concern there, and everybody's buzzing about the KUOC, but nobody was talking about Brian Borland. I thought Brian Borland had a really great year. I thought this defense blossomed before our eyes, and obviously, um, you know, there's going to be some holes to fill and pieces to replace, but suddenly the buzz around KU football's defense is night and day different. You just added four four-star recruits, two DNs, two cornerbacks, and I don't expect those guys to all be playing major reps and snaps next year right away, but the point is the narrative around this group has completely changed from a KU exciting team that scores 35 a game offensively, but they can't stop anybody, to now we got ball hawking corners, we got pressure off the edge. Obviously, you want to see linebacking play become more consistent, but man, did they take a step forward. So I know there's still bowl games to be played, and the final total defensive numbers and scoring defensive rankings will change in the next 10 days or so, but they had to make a leap by at least 40 places, I would think, uh, from what we saw this time a year ago. I know from the the points per game, it went from 124th to 67th. Yep. So, I mean, that that's a huge difference. In terms of the yards, it's a 91-yard difference from uh, what they gave up, which was uh, above 400. This year it was more in the uh, 300s range, and um, that would put them around the top 50 of the country, which, again, like you said, I think 123rd. So, yeah, yeah, you're talking about a a pretty sizable difference there between the two. Yeah, that's exactly where my mind went when you first started phrasing the question. Now, beyond that, um, Devin Neal, as we talked about last time we sat in this chair, and we didn't know about his future and is he going to come back or not, he turns in a season that was on par with every expectation, exceeded a lot of them, uh, and now has a chance to – 
you talk about legacy. He has a chance to to go out as the all-time rushing champ here. I mean, it, it sounds hyperbolic, but it's really not. If he does go out as the all-time rushing champ, which he'll be on pace to should he stay healthy, and Kansas does get that playoff appearance, they go 10-2, and two, they win the Big 12, whatever it is, I really do think you're in statu- statue territory. Wow. I mean, you'd be the all-time leading yeah. rusher on yeah. the, the first ever team to make it to the – I know the postseason was always different, but to make it to a postseason game, like yeah. – that feels pretty fitting to me. There's only two statues. I know. And, and uh, I know it's it's hyperbolic, but I I really do believe it. I don't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of talking through this as I hear about yeah. it for the first time. There's only two statues, I know. and uh, obviously those guys also went on to great NFL success. Mm-hmm. Gail Sayers, first ballot Hall of Famer, youngest guy ever in the Hall of Fame. John Hadle, six-time Pro Bowler, should be in the Hall of Fame. But Hadle, a Lawrence High guy. Right. Devin Neal, a Lawrence High guy. And to me, what's so cool about his legacy, and I love being able to introduce him with this story when he spoke, and it's the most nervous I've ever seen him. He's never nervous on the football field, <laughs> but I could tell he was pacing and he was a little bit antsy when he spoke for the David Booth, uh, Kansas Memorial Stadium, KU Gateway District press conference and announcement that we had there in the uh, new Alumni Association building back in August. We said, this is a guy who bet on KU football when no one was picking the Hawks. And when I say bet on, I mean he sure. gave, gave yeah. his commitment to come play here. He wasn't, specifying he wasn't on uh, the, the apps <laughs> <laughs> making bets. Yeah. But but he, he placed his trust in the hometown team when everybody told him, why would you do that? They're not winning any games, let alone enough games to go to a bowl game. They're not going to put you on a path to the NFL. And and he bet on something sight unseen because this was the team he grew up cheering for. This was the town he loved, family, friends here, all that. And Lance Leipold comes in. He gets a chance to beat Texas in his first year, and he was huge in that game. And he saw, okay, maybe this was a good decision. And then in years two and three, back-to-back bowl appearances, all-conference honors, now you set the stage for what you're talking about hypothetically, where in year four, he could be an All-American. In year four, he could possibly be a Big 12 champion. He could possibly compete for a national Mm -hmm. title. If that's the case, and they become the first KU football team in the playoff or the first Big 12 champion KU football team. Finishes top 10 in high yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that you're far off there. Now, um, I don't know if you put it right next to the Hadel and Sayer statue. Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes on a different side of the uh, new re I guess who knows with the new construction but, of the booth yeah. where, where that opportunity will be, but yeah. Do your in-laws own a statue company or something? Is there, is, is there, <laughs> yeah. is there some like uh, ulterior motive here? Uh, we need just, a third just statue. My stock. Yeah, just my, uh, I, uh, how I've divvied up my stock. Uh, it's just all statue-related companies. It's, uh, it's such a great yeah. story, though, and, and I get what you're saying. So I don't think there's hyperbole there at all. I think everything is within reach for Devin Neal that we just talked about. And for that to happen to a Lawrence kid at the University of Kansas, how cool is that? I did want to at least briefly mention basketball. We got KU Wichita State, 3 o'clock, T-Mobile Center on Saturday. You know, I was going back and looking at the – because it always feels like there's that – I don't know, the the bias against KU playing the non-conference game in December in the T-Mobile Center that they don't do well. And and obviously they've had a lot of success in the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, we know the NCAA tournament with the Oregon stuff. Um, they're twenty and four though in Bill Self's time in those December games at T-Mobile. I, I was looking back as far as I could against the spread because maybe that's a better judge of like how did you perform to how you're projected to. And they were eleven and ten, so it's about you know where you'd think they'd be. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just oversold. Maybe maybe we have a tendency 
to just think of the times that there has been disaster when they've lost to Davidson there, when they lost to mm-hmm. Washington there in like 2017, I think. Uh, uh, but I, I don't know. I, th- I think this one's at least interesting with Wichita State. First time you're playing them since the tournament. So, I don't know. Any thoughts on, on KU's side coming out of Christmas break? Here? That's a good historical look back. And I have yeah. some of those same like weird feelings based on the yeah. memories that stick with you. But I, in hearing Hunter Dickinson speak today and then Bill Self talking about where the team was at in terms of fresh legs and rejuvenated feeling coming out of the holiday break, I don't expect them to put on a clinic necessarily, but I do think we see them come out and look much better than what we saw for much of that Yale game. Hunter in particular. Hunter admitted he had not been playing well the last couple of weeks. He needed the break. There was some mental and physical exhaustion. Bill Self went back and talked about his last three games, Dickinson, uh, and, and how he's looked like a guy with fresher legs coming out of that. You get Furphy back. I So... I understand your apprehension, and obviously for Wichita State, and they just played K State there a week ago. You know, this this is a game they've had circled, but I think uh, KU with maybe a little bit to look forward to with league play coming around the corner more than anything, just just wants to to get back together and I don't know, go out there, put some good tape out there, and for guys like like Hunter that haven't played their best of late, for guys like Johnny who watched others excel without him, I, I think they go out and have a more inspired game than maybe what we've come to expect in these Kansas City showcases that you're hinting at haven't always been as electrifying or um, efficient of play as we'd like to see. Back to your statue comment, though, because I was thinking about it as you were asking it. <laughs> There's only two on the other side of campus, yeah. and one guy invented the game, and the other is the father of basketball coaching. So I think that the more likely next statue mm. is self and Leipold uh, mm. in, in separate parts of the stadium or of the campus, obviously. And if you really want to talk about extrapolation and all that, if, if things keep going like they're going like 30 years from now, Travis Goff might need one. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is the golden era I think we're currently in the right. midst of. But Let's get Ray Bouchard one at, at the volleyball yes, stadium. Yes, there you too, go. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's we're just passing them out yeah, right let's, now. Let's do it. Because Derek's got stock yeah. in statues. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, Brian Haney. Uh, before we let you go, word from Nate Miller? Word from Nate Miller. We're going to have to consult Nate Miller to pay for all these statues <laughs> you're handing out all of a sudden. But uh, he'll help you with the most profitable and secure financial future. You can check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Awesome guy. He gives to so many local organizations, including the Round Ball Classic. One of my favorite guys as much for his philanthropic heart as it is for his financial advice. But check him out, MillerRetirementGroup.com. He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. One hour down, two to go. RCST Mailbag next on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star coming up at 440 here and KansasCity.com to 
help us break down what's uh, gone wrong with the Chiefs. We've got plenty more KU football talk throughout the show, too, here on RCST. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. It is time for our RCST mailbag. Thank you for submitting questions. You can do that for, I guess, if we get to it today or for next week at RCST1320 on Twitter and RCST1320am at gmail.com. As always, thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions because this is my favorite segment mm-hmm. of the week. Do you ever think the other segments feel bad when you say that? Nope. And you guess what? I don't care. <laughs> okay. Screw the other segments. This First is my up, favorite. This is from Jack. What is your New Year's resolution? Mm, that's pretty good. Uh, you know... For a while there, I was kind of like, eh, New Year's resolution is just stupid. I never really, like, thought, never really did much. Uh, but, you know, something that I guess I've been trying to do more of and even trying to do more of now going into the new year is just try to live more in the moment. You know, I feel like in in today's world with social media, technology, and, and all that stuff, it's very easy to kind of get lost and, and kind of, you know, not live in the moment so much. So, uh that's something that I've been trying to do, and I'll be continuing to try to do. So I'd say that that's one of my New Year's resolutions. Uh, so just try to be more present, be more in the moment, and uh, not feel like I'm so attached to technology. And and uh, yeah, so that's that's probably my, my main one, I would say. That's a good one. You have more power than I do. Um, do I have to have one? I'm, I'm about to have a kid here in two weeks. Isn't that enough for a, a change to my year? Do I need to change no, something else? Not. I'm going to be mean, a I guess dad. I, I have enough to deal with there. I guess your new resolution could be just to be just a good dad. Just to be dad. a father? <laughs> just to be a good dad. Be present? No, that's a good one. No, but uh, for real, I my new resolution, I'm going to try to uh, complain less, you know? There you go. Just, uh, just try to yeah. more focus on the good things, that you know, whether it's in life. You know, I, I think it's very easy to get caught up, in, and especially with social media and you know, be in a, in a situation where you're complaining about stuff or this is going wrong or that's going wrong. Yeah. And you forget to realize that there are a lot of things. Life is beautiful, uh, man. Exactly. There are a lot beautiful. of ways that, that you're blessed that you don't even, you know, really realize on a day-to-day basis. My other New Year's resolution is to not let the Chiefs uh, so negatively or positively That impact. could be a good one, too. <laughs> not letting your sports not letting, team yeah. impact not letting the next couple days as much. literally impact your physical <laughs> and emotional health. That's right. All right this one from uh, Derek H. What is more likely to happen? KU men's basketball winning a national championship this year. Or KU football making the 12-team playoff next year, given what we know right now with you know player decisions. Yeah, well, I think from a simple math standpoint, mm-hmm. you have 12 chances to basically make the college football playoffs. That's true. 12 teams. Only one team wins a national championship. Mm-hmm. So I think from a simple math standpoint, mm-hmm. you'd probably pick KU football to make the... Uh, to make the college football playoff, but, but see, I could also math it where side, it's like the win, the probability. Well, but on the flip side is if, if you if you think about it, to win the national championship, you just have to win out. Sure. To make the college football playoff, it may be a situation where it's not even in your control. It might be be up to the committee if it's close. So I don't know. This is an interesting question. Interesting question for sure. Uh, I think. Well, here, let me put it this know. way. I don't know. Because I can approach this from a math way of looking at, like, betting odds. Okay. Which, it's not the be-all, end-all, but I think it can give you a good look sometimes. Sure. I mean, KU basketball is one of the favorites right now. They right? are one of the favorites, and they are, like, 12-1 to 1, last I saw. They're somewhere in that, like, 12-1, to 14-1 range. Okay? Okay. What do you think the odds of Kansas to win the Big 12 title will be in 2024? For football. Yeah, for football. Because mm. the way I view it is if you win the Big 12, you're going to be in the playoff. Yeah, because, well, with the new format, isn't it, if you're a Power 5 champion, you're automatically, right? Well, I it's think. it's just, I believe it's, I forget if the top five or the top six. I think it's the top five ranked conference winners. It can be any conference. 
Oh. But without the Pac-12, you basically have four power conferences. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's not Power 5 And a group anymore. of five, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not Power 5. So in, in theory, there could be a year where there's two group of five conferences where the winner of the AAC and the winner of, I don't know, the Mountain West or something happens to be ranked higher than a team who wins the Big 12 or the ACC because it's a team who goes 9-3 and three and then wins the conference. That is possible. It's pretty unlikely. But it seems unlikely. Sure. So You win the Big 12, you're in. I, I think it's better to just approach it that way. Yeah, if you win, you win the, the Big, Big 12, 12 you'll probably be in, right? I would think that KU's so I guess, odds to win the Big well, 12... Well, they're odds be better than 12-1, to 14-1. to 1. I would say they, they probably will be. For what it's worth, they were 40-1 to 1 headed into this year. Here's the odds headed into it. this year. Texas plus 125. Oklahoma was plus 325, K-State plus 500, Texas Tech was plus 900, TCU was plus 1,400. So those are the top, what, six? Yeah. I think KU will definitely be either higher or at the very least the same. Like, they're going to have better odds. Because, I mean, Brian Haney just just mentioned it, and we've talked about it. You look at the Big 12 Conference going into next season, you have to assume Utah, I think, would probably be the favorite. But after Utah... You could make an argument for like four or five different teams to be there, right there as the number two team. You have KU, you have K State, you have Arizona, who under Jed Fish. You have, I mean, you know, maybe West Virginia fans are saying, "Hey, what about us?" You know, there's there's Oklahoma State who just got a big bowl win against Texas A&M to end their season on a positive note. So you have you could there's five or six or seven teams that I think it right now today could say. Hey, we should be in that conversation. Yeah, it'll be very different. Instead of having one team that's like plus one twenty five with it was which it was with Texas, it'll probably you'll have like a couple teams that are around plus two hundred. I, I feel like Utah's still gonna be a pretty big favorite. I uh, yeah, I just don't think it'll be plus one twenty five. It'll probably no. be like two fifty or something. You could know, three hundred. Yeah. And then Arizona probably around there like K State. But yeah, I, I could see Kansas being around eight to one, ten to one to win somewhere in that range, maybe even twelve to one, which would be the same odds. But yeah, I think actually it would be for Kansas. Plus you add this way, like it's not just the Big Twelve. There's even a chance you could make the 12 team playoff without winning the Big oh, 12. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you go 10 yeah. and 2 or something. Yeah. With, but with again, like 10 and two? you'd be leaving it up to the committee at that point. You would. Because right? they're taking the college football playoff rankings. I think it's making the playoff. Which, by the which, way. By the way, what happens if they have to host the playoff game? Well, we, 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 remember we talked about this previously. I guess I guess they have to play it right. I, I guess, guess. they have to play it right. I don't okay. know. So, question though, real quick. If we're going back to where, you know, the highest rated championship teams make the playoff and then it's rankings after that. Why do we still need the college football playoff committee? What are they doing? Why can't we just go? Why can't we just because go by like? Because they're still going to seat it. Why can't we just go by like AP rankings or not the college football playoff committee rankings? Uh, what is their purpose? Uh, wonderful question. What purpose do they serve? I don't know. I, I think it'd be actually fine. If eliminate they just the AP rankings. Eliminate that, the college football playoff committee. Yeah, I, I'd be fine with it. Whatever. Eliminate them. Uh, here is well, Joseph. That sounds a little too aggressive. <laughs> Take, make them non. No, I'm going to stop. Okay. Continue. Okay. What would be a disappointing season in 2024, a solid season, and a great season? So basically, trying to give values to, based on what happens, what I think that be a disappointing season would be seven wins or less, mm-hmm. and you lose your bowl game. So if you go seven and five or six and six, and then you lose your bowl game, disappointing season. I think if you go seven and five, and then you win your bowl game, I mean... That one to me is like it wouldn't be it. I don't think I would call that a solid season, but I don't know that I would fully call it a disappointment either. But I think if you win seven games or less, and you lose yeah. the bowl game, I think seven or less would feel like a bit of a disappointment. Six or okay, 
five or less would feel like a disaster. disaster. Yeah. Six or seven would be like, well, at least. But can it be that big of a disappointment? Well, because I, again, you, I think you've never made a bowl game three straight caveat, years. That's why I put the caveat that you lose, that you go six or seven, yeah. and then you lose your bowl game on top of that. Because I still never like even said, made a bowl game three if straight years. If you go before. seven and five and you win your bowl game, sure. Again, I think then you enter into this category of like not quite a solid season necessarily, but not a disappointment either. When it happened with Iowa State, remember Iowa State, the COVID year, they like won the Fiesta Bowl after losing in the Big 12 title game. They brought like everyone back the next year. And they were, and then they they were bad, right? Six or seven games. Yeah, they were bad. And I think they lost like Notre Dame in a bowl game. Sometimes continuity doesn't always lead to vast improvement. Um, so it is possible. So I would say disappointment is five or less. I think six, seven, or eight wins becomes... I think six or seven wins becomes mild disappointment in yeah. what the expectations could be, yeah. but it still could be overall good for the program. I think eight wins is kind of the Pretty no solid. man's range where it's just like whatever. I think eight wins would be solid. I think nine wins in the regular season solid. is a mild success. I think ten wins or more you're is not, a huge success. You gotta, you're not even using the right... Okay. It's got to be just, disappointing, solid, or great. Okay, disappointing, five or less, in between disappointing and solid, six or seven. Solid would be eight, eight or nine, or nine, and a great season would be ten or more. Correct. Okay. Yes. This one from Smitty. How many wins would you need Kansas to have to be willing to take a mayo bath like Neil Brown got? Oh, so you individually. I mean, I'll take a mayo bath for KU to win ten games. Mm. Easily. Because well, again, win nine, the mayo bath, mayo bath again. The, I I don't think the mayo bath sounds as bad as maybe it looks, or you might think it is. What if because, you can't take a shower for the next hour? See, that would suck. But see, can I get like hosed off? No. No, no liquids. You have to just it's on you. No, no, no. You put that caveat on there. That is not in the question. Okay? So my philosophy is I'll just wear regular clothes, get dumped, immediately take them all off and take a shower. Life's good. Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Okay, you win ten, 10 wins. games. KU wins. 11. I mean, I mean, I mean, I would do it for KU to win national title easily. Do it for any of that. Well, ten is below that, and that's so. Ten is is the minimum. How many wins would you need KU to have to be willing to take it? Yeah, no. I mean, I would do it for nine. You do it for nine? Do they it for just nine won wins. nine this year. And I would you do it, have I would to do take it for nine wins. <laughs> that seems a little excessive. I think I need at least double digits there. Uh, this one for right, Ed- fine. Ten. Edgar. Would you rather KU? You didn't answer. What? Oh, how I just said wins? double digits. I said okay, 10. Okay, okay. Uh, would you rather KU make the playoff as the eight seed, win their first playoff game at home, but then lose by forty to the number ones, probably like Georgia or Michigan or something, or be the first team left out of the playoff and win some random bowl game by forty? Mm. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Edgar, for the question. But second of all, these are the questions that I don't like. <laughs> so. To me, I would rather make the well. Okay, back to what you—the question you just asked previously oh, about yeah. where you would play for the playoffs. This is game. in Kansas City. Does that it, ruin I think it, it a dings bit for you. you? Yes, absolutely. Yes, you can see it on campus. Yeah, exactly. You can see it yes. booth. If this was booth, you have the booth. Whether it's the new booth or the old booth, you have a booth, <laughs> and you can play the game there. I think it's slam dunk. You would take that option because, dude, that'd be awesome. Winning a playoff game on your home campus. Yeah. Who cares after that? Go lose to Baylor by 100. I don't care. But the fact that you probably wouldn't be able to do that next season because you're not going to have a stadium, yeah, it takes away from it quite a bit if you have to go play at Arrowhead. What are, so, okay, what are the other options? If they don't want to play at Arrowhead but they can't play on the campus, <laughs> what are the other options? Uh, Haskell. No, I'm just joking. Um, 
I mean, there, there's Children's Mercy Park, but that feels like that's not going to happen. But that doesn't. That, that only holds, only like holds 19, like 20, people, Yeah, like twenty thousand. So it's just not going to happen. It's non-negotiable. There is like no. Go down to Wichita. No, no, I don't no, know, no, dude. No. There is no option. There's no. no option. First of all, that stadium, Cessna Stadium, Wichita. No. Yeah, dude. There is no option. It's Arrowhead. It's Arrowhead. What if you went to like? Okay. See. Okay. Fine. So the fact that you can't play it at home, but then again, it'd be you'd even I'm have more fans to... for a playoff game. It'd be seventy-six thousand in there between both teams. Eh, kind of cool. Maybe be like a big sold-out bowl game, you know? Maybe. I think that'd be kind of fun. Now, okay, if you if you get the eight seed, hypothetically, that probably means you went like ten and two. Well, so my other thought here, or eleven is, and two with the Big Twelve title. My other thought here is is that. Initially, I was like, oh, well, you know, if you just get left out, maybe you still play in the New Year's Six game. No, because all the New Year's Six yeah. games are going to be all the bowl games. Part of, right. So if you're not in the playoff, you're going to get you're going to be getting just a It'd be like regular Alamo bowl. bowl. Hypothetically. Yeah. If you're the first team left out, probably Alamo Bowl. Which right? like, or maybe the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Right? Woohoo, Alamo Bowl. Sweet. But that would probably... So, I don't if, know. Now I'm, the, back, now I'm back saying we should do the first one. I think it's definitely the first one, because think about it. The first one to be the eight seed, you, you won 10 or 11 games, right? If you're the first team left out, you probably were nine and three. Like that would have been the case. Maybe you were ten and two. It would have either been OU, I think, was the first team left out at ten and two, or LSU at nine and three. So you won nine or ten games, then you win ten or eleven with the bowl game. Both are good seasons, but yeah, give me the playoff win for sure. This one from Tyler. Yeah. Power rank the top five most likely KU athletes to win their sports respected National Player of the Year awards in the calendar year of 2024. So next season. Well, it doesn't no. So this like calendar year of twenty twenty. Are we so, saying like Hunter Dickens and Kevin Cole or like basketball this season. basketball? Yes, because that's awarded in the calendar year of twenty twenty four. But it would also be next year for football, next year for volleyball, next gotcha. year for soccer. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this year for men's and women's basketball. This next upcoming baseball. season for like baseball and softball. Okay. Okay. Well, I think Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller. Maybe you have an argument for both of them to be on there. Sure, they'd both be in the list. Um, for women's just without best- having too much knowledge on it, I feel like there's probably just some like track and field athlete. Yeah, there could be. But but it, I guess that one that sport doesn't count. Do there's they not have a national a, player of the year. Do they have one. You can win your individual. So I'm thinking events. I'm thinking national player of the year, Heisman in football, obviously. Sure. And then I don't think we can count track because if you win, let's say you compete in the 400 oh, meter yeah, and you fine. win the 400 meter, that's not national player of the year. That's it's just national you won the 400, 400 meter, right? So I don't think we can count that one. Yeah, no, okay, that's so, fine. So Hunter and Kevin both so in the, the fact discussion. That, okay, so this changes things because mm-hmm. the fact that we're going to be doing it in this calendar year 2024 with women's basketball, I don't think you can make a case for any of them. In my head, I was thinking if you're thinking the following season for women's basketball, oh, so Nichols. Maybe Samaya Nichols is on no, your, is on that this list. Season. Could so you this, throw Tyana Jackson? I I mean she would have to go. It's nuclear tough. Katie's sitting at play. seven and four. Yeah, I, I I mean, don't she'd have to average happen, like right. twenty five and fifteen in conference play. Probably. And Katie would have to you know obviously win the conference. Yeah. at this point. Yeah. So I I'm kind of want to eliminate women's basketball. Okay, I'm fine with that. So you go to football. We need three more to fill it out. You go to football. You have Devin Neal and Jalen Day. Yep, for sure. I think you know you can put those on. Yep. In a volleyball. You no longer have Reagan Cooper. No, but so you have Cameron go-to. Turner back for another year. Yeah. I mean, Caroline Bien. So, but, but I, okay, but don't they have a volleyball? They have a setter of the year, and then they have a player of the year, right? Well, they have like a national player of the year. Okay, yeah. they do. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think Bien would, uh, with being more of a back row player, like it, it more so goes to players who are like attackers. Typically, we do see it being like hitters, but it could be a setter. So there's a chance Cameron Turner would be in that discussion okay. for sure. Turner on there? When you yeah. look at baseball... Cody Shochinaga as a freshman right. hit over 300. 
last season for KU. He would probably have to do that and then some this season as a sophomore to be And again, KU would have list. to be in a would have tournament to, team. Yeah, KU would have to probably, which maybe he's not out of, totally out of their own possibility in uh, in the second season. Problem with the baseball one is there's so many baseball players, good players. and good players and teams and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And in and, and baseball, it's, you know, you can have a guy from a smaller conference against lesser competition, but if he hits 500 or something, you know. All right, I'm going number one, Hunter Dickinson. Okay. Number two, Kevin McCuller. Yeah, I agree. It's just where they're, they're known commodities. You know they're in the race right now. So it's well, like and I think if you're, it, you know, if you're going to put Jalen Dan- Jalen Daniels hasn't played a full health. That's season. the thing. I think three, I would go. I mean, I'm Cameron Turner, to put honestly. Devin Neal above Jalen Daniels. Okay, and then four Devin Neal, five Jalen Daniels. Yeah. And it, but again, I think if we were thinking about this. From the following season, I would probably put Samaya Nichols on there. Okay. Towards the bottom of the list. And then would you put KJ Adams there for KU basketball? No. Hunter Dickinson part two. Flory Badunga. Hunter Dickinson part two, yes. Okay. Uh, This one from Frank. What are the three things you'll be paying attention to in the KU football spring game? I love this, okay. by the way. The KU football has people so fired up that we're still able to talk game. about it in the late December, and the people well, are asking okay. questions about the spring game. Hang on. Yeah. It's, is it, it's the spring showcase. No. Sorry. Apologies. Hey, not the spring game. Spring showcase. I think. Right? That's what they call it last year, right? Uh, that, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's what if it's okay. back okay. to spring game this I don't year? Know. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Fine. All right. My bad. Number one has got to be Jalen Daniels, right? Assuming he even does anything yes. or throws or anything. It's without a doubt. Just seeing him just, be yeah, in exactly. pads, just throwing footballs, yes. running plays. He's, yes. he's got to be number, number one. one. That's, yes. that's got to be number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think it's got to be if you get to see the true freshman. Right. Any of the any of the new guys. You've got there, some of them that are like rolling early. Of, yeah, Dak yeah. Brinkley, Isaiah Marshall. So if um, you get to see any of those guys. Like Harry Stewart. That'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You can see any of those guys. Any, any, and if you want to accept, accept, extend that out further, you know, seeing a guy like Calvin Clements, sure. who's maybe gonna, who's probably going to be a could be a starter, right? Or maybe a guy like Logan Brantley on the defense, linebacker. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, I guess seeing the freshman slash redshirt freshman in the spring game. Number three, those are, I like those top two. I mean, I, I'm Number always would probably see be the machinations of the offensive line. Yeah, or maybe play time. calling with Jeff Grimes. I don't know, but yeah, but they're not going to. They're not going to do anything. Yeah, they're not going to be vanilla. Yeah, they're going to be, be running very vanilla, re- regular stuff. Yeah, I don't think we can learn. I, I I like seeing the the different variations of the offensive line. Who's going to play center? Are they going to add somebody from the portal? Are they going to move Michael Ford? There? So, uh, what's the tackle situation going to look like? Will Logan Brown be back from his injury? Will he be true. playing by them? To continue our stadium questions, mm-hmm. are they going to play the spring showcase? I guess that's at the a booth? great question too. Where are they going to play it at? There's no way that'll be ready by spring. Maybe that's something you could do it like. Honestly, would they could you do, do like that at like Free field? State or Lawrence High? I mean, it's not like they get. How many people do they get for the spring showcase usually? They got a lot. La- they got a they lot. They did get a good time. amount. But I it was, was there. One side was, of the field. Yeah. Just so, the but remember, they're doing half the stadium, so they're gonna have the other half. So maybe they just tell everybody to go sit on the other half. Okay. I don't know. Kind of interesting. So maybe that's the third thing to watch. Where the hell are they even gonna play it? Yeah. That is actually a really interesting point. Um, I also want to see the progression of the young DBs because I, I think you're going to be able to see if they're rotating in against what we feel like are good KU receivers. If the young freshmen coming in or the guys who redshirted last year, Jamil Croft, Jacoby Davis, uh, you have Demarius McGee who dealt with some injury stuff. 
B.J. Dilworth, who redshirted a year before and, and was a backup this year. I want to see what those guys can do from from kind of the second level. So I think that's interesting. But yeah, quarter, I mean, quarterback position has to be number one. Uh, and, and for a lot of people, quarterback yeah. position already is like the most watched, but it really but, is the no, truth yes. for KU. Because Jalen Daniels and then Isaiah Marshall. Yeah. That's a ton of reason to watch that position. I don't know. Okay, uh, this one from Hawkman. How do we go about getting a chunk of <laughs> Memorial Stadium? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Maybe you can just go down there and ask him. I mean, my, my question for Hawkman is, how big of a chunk are we talking? What are you? What, what, what are you, you going to do with, with the chunk? Yeah, what, I mean, what kind of? <laughs> what are you? What are you going to do with the? Maybe chunk? make like a bench for your backyard <laughs> or something. I mean, I mean, if you if you just want like a you know like a fist-sized rock from the rubble, uh-huh. you'll probably get that easily. Yeah, I guess. What What but do you if want? You wanted with it? like something. Well, I think it'd be cool if they gave away like some of the banner stuff. Yeah. Um. As far I mean, as so if you're I was, just wanting like concrete, I was telling you this off know. air, but and I actually, I actually saw this. At the was the K State game would have been the last game, last home game, right? Yes. I actually saw people doing this at the K State game. I saw people like trying to basically rip off signs because <laughs> they knew that they were going to tear it down. Uh-huh. So I actually even saw that at the K State game. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. So I mean, I guess it depends on how what <laughs> how big of a chunk you There's want. There's two answers. To this. There's the one that I would never recommend, and you should definitely not do, which would be trespassing and picking up stuff on your own accord. Don't do that get in some legal trouble uh the other one is i don't know maybe shoot like an email to <laughs> i don't know who do you shoot an email to on this ku travis Athletics. goff travis yeah yeah travis goff t goff at ku.edu <laughs> yeah i don't know it's a wonderful question to be completely honest with you i don't know but again i i my question is how big we talking I mean, is anything stopping you from just showing up and just grabbing something? I honestly don't think so. Outside of his, I haven't really been down to that area. A safety hazard to the construction people. Yeah, I mean, don't stand in front of. What are they going to do? Don't stand in front of the bulldozer. Don't stand in front of the the thing. Crane. What's the thing? What's the the caterpillar? Okay. Don't stand in front of that. All right. That's our uh, RCST mailbag. Thank you for asking questions. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell in about 15 minutes from right now. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We haven't even gotten a chance to break down the Chiefs earlier this week. We didn't have a show on Monday, and uh, then everything was happening with the Guaranteed Rate Bowl and, and KU, so we focused on that, and you know maybe deservedly so, because it wouldn't have been a super fun conversation earlier this week. So I wanted to get on Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, uh, KansasCity.com, to join us here to, to talk about the Chiefs and what is going wrong like right now and, and look ahead to you know, the final couple weeks of the season. They're sitting at nine and six. And I, I do think it's funny that, you know, you look at the record of, you know, KU football of, of Chiefs and they're not that dissimilar. And one for for local fans is such a much more enjoyable product than the other, which is where expectations comes into play. But uh, when you look at the Chiefs right now, Jesse, uh, I, I think losing, what, four of the last six, something like that. What What is the biggest issue that is plaguing the Chiefs at this point in time. Wait a minute, Derek. You said the KU was in a bowl game. I know. <laughs> what? What happened? What? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that uh, when you covered KU, that seemed like a distant uh, possibility. But yeah, it turns out they've made back-to-back bowl games. Who would have thought? <laughs> I, I covered one while I was there for 13 years, and that was back in 2008. So yeah, good for them. And obviously, uh, a great season for. It's cool to see some of those stories out there. You know, the Jason Beans of the world stick it out. Luke Grimm, uh, those guys, to see them produce is a pretty cool thing to watch. But, uh, yeah, for the Chiefs, um, 
it was interesting watching the KU bowl game because it was sort of reminds you how much fun offense could be because that's not what you're seeing. <laughs> Everything just seems sort of labored right now um, and difficult. And I, I think sort of to me, uh, you know, you know me, Derek. I, I'm the numbers guy. I'm the guy that looks into the stats and you know can kind of be a a very cold heart when it comes to emotional sorts of things. But I do think there is pretty telling since the Bills game when the Chiefs came out very publicly talked about the officials and blamed somebody else and you know Mahomes and Reed got their fines and now we're seeing basically every week the cameras have to remain on the sidelines because the Chiefs are blowing up at each other or themselves in some sort of way. Uh, this is just different from years past, and and there have been struggles in years past that I don't think that have, you know, resulted in the team sort of coming apart. And and this just seems a little bit off because now you've got Travis Kelsey spiking his helmet and Andy Reid keeping his helmet from coming back to him, and you see, you know, Andy Reid bumping him on the sideline and, and Patrick Mahomes and get the play call in, man, and and you're seeing very visible signs of, you know, frustration, dissent, whatever you want to say, and. It's just not what you, we're used to seeing with the Kansas City Chiefs. And so, while I can come here and tell you, and, and I will if you want me to, all the positive things are happening with the Chiefs, how they still have a shot in the playoffs, how their offense isn't as bad as it looks, how a lot of these self-inflicted things can get fixed, I think that's sort of ignoring the human aspect of this, which is the main thing that's going wrong is that when things are going wrong, now they're getting frustrated and splintered. And um, that can change in one week's time. We know it can. And obviously the Patriots' performance wasn't too long ago, but – it just sort of is fascinating that this team, for all the success that it's had lately, we just haven't seen a reaction to a lack of success like this. And so I would say, yeah, their biggest issue right now is just sort of getting things fixed on the inside and having guys that sort of come together rather than, than have these public displays of emotion that seem to be driving them apart. So and they've got a couple weeks to fix it, and obviously they look like a tired team at this point, six straight weeks of playing teams that have more rest than them. And so – uh, this team is one that does seem to be kind of limping into the playoffs. doesn't mean that they can't make a run. It just means right now it's harder to see than we would have anticipated a month ago. Yeah, where where does Patrick Mahomes fit in with the the share of blame pie? I know there's there's a lot that kind of goes into this, whether it's the receiver position or um, the the offensive line not maybe being as as dominant as you would have hoped, specifically maybe from from the tackle position. Uh, I, I don't know where Matt Nagy falls into this and. Uh, some of the other things that that are kind of going on, like where where does Patrick Mahomes' level of play is is there there anything on him? Is it more about the other guys? Like like where does that kind of fall? So yeah, I, I think you know I did a film breakdown with Brett Tava every week. He's a former offensive coordinator in high school, and he does some great stuff. So we kind of looked through three Patrick Mahomes throws and just him not being himself because there's so many concepts the Chiefs run where. You're putting this player here and this player here, and you're trying to space out zone defenders so that it opens up this particular player. And we always compliment Patrick Mahomes. He reads the field so well. He just processes things so well, so succinctly. And whenever that guy comes open, he finds that guy. You know what I mean? He looks one way, then comes the other, knows exactly where he's going with football. That's been his MO his entire football career. But look at these three plays, uh, you know, we picked out, Derek, and it's just, the ball's not coming out. It's not coming out on time. He's looking at the guys. He's not throwing it. Um, and so, to me, what happened, and this just is, it's so rare with him because he's been in the league seven years, six years as a starter. It seems like he has a kryptonite, right? The kryptonite to him is we've seen instances where he just, when things around him aren't going well, he loses his mind, basically. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the 
AFC Championship game, the first one that they lost to the Bengals a couple years ago in the second half, where he played well in the first half, they didn't go against them in the first half, and then same thing, he just wouldn't pull the trigger on certain throws where he always has. And, and basically, you know, if we want to pin it on him, I think we can. The Chiefs were up big at halftime, and, and the Chiefs didn't make the Super Bowl because their quarterback sort of was not good in the second half. And then he tried in the Super Bowl, 55, but we saw him run for his life, and that's what this game reminded me of. I mean, he was running for his life, but a lot of it was self-inflicted. He would have a pocket, he would have an open man, and he just didn't get to that guy or didn't deliver it for whatever reason. And so I think this is the reason, Derek, they just put so much emphasis. Brett Beach, after that Super Bowl, put so much emphasis on getting the offensive line right, to get the tackles right, to make sure – that you did not ever hand kryptonite to Patrick Mahomes and say, <laughs> I know when his tackles and offensive line are so bad that he just cannot process. You know, he cannot do all those things that we know he can do. And right now, I, we can talk about the receivers, we can talk about the run game, but we need to talk about the tackles. The tackles are bad right now. Uh, he doesn't trust them. And he even admitted to us uh, yesterday at the press conference where sometimes his eyes were going down to the defensive line instead of the reads he was supposed to make. That's not good. That's not good. And, you know, Wanya Morris is stepping in for an injured Donovan Smith. Not really his fault, but I think Pro Football Focus had him giving up 13 pressures in that mm. game. That's awful. That's not good. And Juwan Taylor was signed almost specifically so that when you had a pass rusher like Max Crosby on that side that he could limit him. He just had an okay pass blocking game, but it's been so inconsistent lately that I don't think Mahomes trusted enough. So, yeah, this is, this is weird in the fact that the simple things that Mahomes does so well, and some of the complicated things, you know, the processing things, he does so well as being such a good quarterback. Those were not evident on Monday because he just sort of lost his mind because he couldn't trust what was around him and didn't allow the offense to work for him. And so that's something they have to get back to. He admitted as much, but I, I do think we're not talking enough about the tackles or protection because um, when Mahomes thinks he has even decent protection or at least believes that, We've seen a very, very good football player, and he did not believe that on Monday. I think we saw the results of that. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the the emotional, uh, I guess, outputtings and, and outbursts that we've seen on the sideline. And it hasn't just been Mahomes; it's been other players and, and stuff too. But um, is that something that that you think can, I don't know, uh, like like transgress through the rest of the team? Does that have a negative impact in any way, or is that just kind of is what it is? Yeah, it's it's all in how you interpret it. And, and listen, if the Chiefs had won that game we're not talking about it so I, I get that sometimes you know narratives are defined by the results but but that's how we process things too Mahomes was asked about it yesterday he said I think it's a sign of people wanting to win and I don't I don't doubt that with him especially and I think Mahomes is sometimes in a tough spot because he is the face of the franchise he is on billboards he is supposed to, he said all the right things in Kansas City ever since he got here I mean, he's been the perfect citizen and it's really hard to do that so that limits probably what he believes he can do, whether it's calling out teammates or coaches or whoever it is. Um, the the way to do that and to, to make point make make the point that you're frustrated might be that you say something after a play when you know the cameras are on you that you that you scream at teammates on the sideline that he is a battle because you don't feel like you can do it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday in a press conference after a game and and that's not the right way to handle things. So I think some of this is that he's frustrated that he really can't exactly come out and say maybe what he wants to say and so the correct way the quote-unquote correct way to do it is to handle how he's been handling it and sort of make his his thoughts known in the heat of the battle rather than in a very conscious way of calling his teammates out where you have a you know opportunity to potentially lose the locker room or lose coaches around you lose relationships that you've built up for a long period of time so yeah i i 
he says it's a sign of being competitive, but I think where he even admitted this yesterday, where it can have a, a negative impact. Like he talked about drifting back in the pocket. He said it was a problem he had at Texas Tech. Usually it's bad for the team when he does that. When he does that, he's trying to make a play. He's trying. He's basically decided, hey, it's me against the world. It's me against the Raiders, and I've got to go overcome all my teammates' mistakes. But we know sometimes try easier is better. You know, that's when you hit your check down. That's when you, um, you know, go through your progressions and, and read things quicker. That's when you have the simpler play calls and go out and, and let your teammates pick you up and let the offense pick you up. But instead, in trying to do the right thing, which was trying to win, he really did the wrong thing, which was kind of made a selfish decision that he had to make every single play for himself. And that's when you see him run around like a chicken with his head cut off and try to make every single play out there. And that's when a lot of the negative plays and the turnover-worthy plays happened for him this past week. So, listen, I mean, the weird thing is, we can talk ourselves to death about all the Chiefs' issues against the Raiders. If you just keep pulling back big picture, like, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about a team that had a pick six, and a more turnover touchdown that was worth about 15 points in the grand scheme of things, when they lost by six points. You're still talking about a team in the AFC going against the down AFC that still has Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey that it's not too late to figure things out and to have them be a feared team come to playoffs, especially when you're talking about a defense that gave up no completions in the final three quarters of the game. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to try to decipher, and it's also a weird thing to be like, are they really going to just hand the other team 10 to 15 points every single game mm-hmm. with turnovers? If they don't, then this can be a team that's very formidable in the playoffs and one that can definitely make a run. But until they believe they're a team that's not going to do that, it does make you question whether this thing is going to get turned around. Every single week it does happen again, it makes you question whether um, you know this thing really can be fixed over the last few weeks of the season. Well, to that notion on the mistakes, because that's kind of how it feels like to me, based on how the defense has played and, and just having Patrick Mahomes, Like I, I guess I would put it this way, uh, because you look at some of the DVOA ranks, and, and the Chiefs still have like a top-10 offense and everything. Uh, I think, obviously, that arrow would be pointed down right now based on how they've been playing over the last you know handful of weeks or whatever. But still, you're looking at probably an above-average offense, something like that. Um, when... When you think about their their way that they do win, if if they do make it through the postseason, I guess on one hand, if you're going to be playing in a wild card round to win the Super Bowl, to win four games, with, with the way this team has a smaller margin for error, that probably means you need four straight games where you did a good job avoiding those mistakes, and I don't know that that would seem likely based on what we've seen. Then again, I, I guess is is that possible? Like I just feel like if this team were a even game management offense, wouldn't that be enough to to be a real Super Bowl contender? Yeah. So I mean, I think back to the Patriots game. The Chiefs made their huge mistake, like they always do. You know what I mean? What happened in the second half? You know, they still they put together a drive. They were up, and then the Patriots handed that play back to them with the interception, and the Chiefs took advantage. What is so weird about the Raiders game? is the Chiefs were up 10-7. They made those two mistakes in a row. And then what did the Raiders do? The Raiders went to a bunker and said, we're not going to hand those 15 points back. You know what I mean? You're going to have to go back and earn them. And you know, the Chiefs almost did. They, they rallied in the game. But that's sort of what I see with this is, like, even if you just sort of credit it to better starts or a better first half, like, if they just don't hand those points off or if they wait to do it, uh, you know, I think these things change. Or, if you know, if the other team doesn't, that's my question, and this is—I mean, this is like me looking at a crystal ball. Like, what if Jake Browning hands them a couple this week? How many are they going to win by? It could be a lot. You know what I mean? Because I still think, to your point, they're sixth in DVOA in offense. Uh, they still have a 
top 10 defense in that. Their special teams has been pretty solid throughout the course of the entire year. They're pretty balanced. It's just a sort of matter of, like, can you not have 10 to 15 points that you hand the other team on three plays? And that's a lot of points. I mean, usually games don't have those biggest swings, and the Chiefs game seem to always have those biggest swings, and they're usually self-inflicted mistakes by the Chiefs. But it does remind me, um, the Chiefs, I think it was that AFC Championship year, um, when we talked about when they lost to the Bengals and you know, were play a couple plays away from making the Super Bowl being a favorite against the Rams. But they had so many of those Tyreek plays, turnover plays early year, where Tyreek was throwing the ball to the other team, and they had some fluky fumbles, and it's like, man, this, this offense just can't get turned around. They can't get out of their own way. And then the second half of the season, they did, and they were the Super Bowl favorite. And, you know, they had everything going for them. And, like, those things can shut off quickly. It just – you have to prove you can do it. And, and it, you know, Patrick Mahomes said as much yesterday in his press conference, just said, we're going to continue to work on those things, but until we actually do it in a game, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And so they have to do it, but – I think this is better than the alternative. Like, I think it's better than not having an offense that can move the ball or that has shown it can pass the ball or having your backup quarterback like two-thirds of the AFC seems to have right now. Like, the Chiefs can be in a good position, and they have to shut that off, but history tells us those are the flukier things. Those are the weirder things. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility for the Chiefs to make a run. It just, it's like Tom Holmes said, you have to do it and have to give yourself confidence you can do it throughout the course of a game. And at least lately, that the Chiefs haven't given you confidence that uh, this is a thing that they can shut off at the at the blink of an eye. But if they do it against this, this week against the Bengals, I'm telling you, I I probably predict it. And I I think the Chiefs will will beat the Bengals by a lot of points. And it it comes down to them not handing the other team a bunch of points like they have recently. Will it happen this week? I don't know, but it sure seems like they're due for one of those games. If it happens, then we could see a really good performance from the Chiefs. Well, I guess that brings me into the Bengals game, and, and if you do have that, that level of confidence that they can get it done, what about the matchup do you think favors the Chiefs the most? Well, it, underratedly, this Bengals defense has been really bad this year, and I know it's kind of strange because Luana Rumo has had you know coach head coaching offers and has had the Chiefs number you know throughout the last few times that they've faced him, but um, the defense hasn't been good, and then, like I said, I think the thing about Jake Browning is the Chiefs need a guy right now to hand them some points <laughs> to do what the Chiefs have been doing to other teams, and Browning can definitely be that guy. He's had flashes and good moments and all those sorts of things, but uh, he also has been a little bit loose with the football. And uh, if the Chiefs, if the Chiefs are in a close game where the other team can't just go, like I said, into a bunker, then um, potentially they can go get some takeaways. And, and that's been the thing too: is if you're in close games and teams are forced to throw against you or go against you. Uh, then you have more opportunity to take the ball away. And, and the Chiefs defense really had no opportunity to do that this past game because of, of the game circumstances and how the Raiders were, were playing. So um, I, I just – sports betting or life or whatever, whatever the case may be, you just want to think it's going to revert to the mean. You want to think it's going to revert to the normal thing. You always want to go back to big picture. What has this team been for the course of the season, not just last week? And so if we're doing that with the Chiefs, I think their offense is better than what they showed last week. I think – that they aren't always going to give the ball away like they did a week ago and have those turn into immediate touchdowns. And the defense seems to be playing at a pretty good level, at least the best level of the Patrick Mahomes era. So, yeah, those things together. I think it's out there a possibility for the Chiefs to come out here and have a really good game against the Bengals. Uh, but, uh, as I said, they have to show it, and they have to show that they're not going to make these mistakes, and they have to come together as a team. And um, Maybe this is the time to do it. We saw before last year, after they traded Terry Killaway, the big narrative was, 
Can they win without a receiver? It seemed to galvanize them, and we heard them talk at the parade about nobody believed in us, all those sorts of things. That probably wasn't necessarily 100% true, but it's something they believe. If they want motivation from criticism, they've got it this week. Uh, A lot of national people, a lot of local people, a lot of people are saying that they're not any good. So maybe that galvanizes them and moves them forward. We'll see what happens this Sunday. It'll be a very interesting game. All right, kiss, marry, kill. Uh, Best wild card matchup for the Chiefs. So I guess if we're saying best, then kill would be the worst. Um, Cleveland, Buffalo, and Houston. Uh, I will definitely kill the Bills. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't need the Chiefs to be a favorite in that game, a Vegas favorite. I mean, that would be the worst of all scenarios to have to face the Bills again at Arrowhead and potentially face. I could argue easily the AFC's best team right now is the Bills, and you talk about teams that have quarterbacks that are healthy and clicking at the right time. That sure seems to be what the the Bills are lately. So, definitely kill that matchup. Uh, I will marry the uh, the Browns matchup. Uh, Browns have an amazing defense, obviously. Uh, but the thing about offense is we've seen this before. Uh, good offense can beat good defense. Uh, and we saw in the Super Bowl last year. You know, the Eagles had a great defense. Chiefs put 38 up on them and, and won the game. So um, I don't know if the, 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 ma- the magic offensively, Flacco magic is the, the thing that's going to continue going on. But I think the Chiefs have a pretty good shot. Be pretty easily favored in that game. But uh, I, I guess I would definitely kiss the matchup with uh, Houston. That's a team to me that if you got them, that could be as good of a, a, a playoff matchup as you could hope for at Arrowhead. Just uh, a young team coming into its own, nobody really expecting to get to this point. Uh, that's a team you want at Arrowhead, especially if the Bills are trying to knock somebody else out in the wild card round. So that's how I would rank those potentially. But uh, I think right now, if you're the Chiefs, you win this week and Miami wins, you potentially can lock yourself into the three seed. Maybe the best thing that could happen is the Chiefs locking themselves into the three seed and then just resting their starters last week and reset everything for the playoffs, get bodies healthy, and sort of take a little bit of a mental break from what has been a very trying season so far. He is Jesse Newell. You can check out his work, Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, appreciate the time, man, and uh, Happy New Year. All right, appreciate it, Derek. Thanks. That was Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. More KU football talk next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Been a fun show so far today. And uh, don't forget, you can check out anything you miss with the best of RCST podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, KUSports.com. Podcasts so, brought to you by Massage Envy. When you say it's been a fun show, yes, that would insinuate that there are not fun shows. Um, does it not? I think so. I mean, you're saying that I'm you're saying that not every show is fun with me. It's wow. not. Wow. It's more like the shows no, 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 that no, 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 we no. have to talk no. about. The NCAA did this or. This off-the-court thing happened. Those shows are not fun. Those shows are not fun. That is boring. Uh, Okay, so KU football season is now over. We now have to wait nine months till the next KU football game. That's unfortunate. Terrible. It is brutal. Hey, but you know, you only have to wait nine months for KU to play UNLV again. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I guess. Which that game does become a lot more interesting now, as you talked about the other day. Because of some (laughs) of the chippiness and and everything that happened there. Uh, But now it's decision time. Now it's the off-season for KU football. And... KU had a big-time offseason last year. You know, you go back and and think about the additions of Austin Booker, who became one of the most valuable defensive players in the Big 12. Your favorite player, J.B. Brown. J.B. Brown was a huge hit. Um, I think Devin Phillips and Gage Keys, those were quality 
rotational defensive tackles for you. You uh, brought on Patrick Joyner, who, you know, again, quality rotational defensive end. Um, I mean, I, I can go on and on the, the list that goes on, but they, they nailed the transfer portal this past offseason. Sure. Even more so than they did two years ago, you know? Uh, two years ago, uh, there were some misses in there, right? Like Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill didn't cut, quite come to fruition as maybe you were hoping to. Uh, I think the year before they did well in the portal because you brought in like Mike Davitsky and Rich Miller and guys who ended up being multi-year starters. But you yeah. know, last year you did well. So now, now it becomes about you know making those right decisions, evaluating the portal well, bringing in the right guys, retaining the current guys, and that's yeah. what brings us to this segment. Uh, the big decisions that are ahead mm. for KU football in the offseason. Now, okay. there are some decisions that have already been maintained. Sort and also, I should I should probably say, in theory, everybody has a decision. So if you're not on this list... Wait, th- so I have a decision if I'm going to play for Everybody them? on the KU football team has a decision. Oh. And... I mean, I guess you could walk on. I don't think you've used any of your... You could try to walk on. Well, I, don't think I graduated from KU, though. I don't... I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't know how that, that works. Mean, I, don't, I don't have any eligibility. She never played any sports, so your clock never... I, I don't know how that works. Oh, doesn't matter. Oh, okay. doesn't matter. Well, I mean, give, given my size and frame and stature, the only position that I could even come close to playing would be Punt. kicker. Or punter. Yeah. But see, I don't want to play punter because everyone's running at me when I kick the ball. <laughs> I mean, everybody's running at you when you're kicking. Yeah, but I have 11 guys to block for me. Or, okay. You know, 10 I mean, guys to block guys for me. block for you when you're punting, too. No, because there's guys on, that are sprinting down it's to try to make the same tackles. thing. It is no, the same thing. It's totally not the same thing. <laughs> You're right. way more of a risk to get hit and tackled as a punter than you are as a kicker. Right. Well, anyway, um, everybody on the football team does have a decision in terms of do I transfer, do I stay, right? Like that. That is not um, indicative of what we're about to get to here in that if we don't mention a player and then they end up transferring, it's not because they – it's it just the, the players I want to mention here are the players that, to me, feel like they have a real decision about do I start my professional football career or do I come back to school? Sure. Because the yeah. transfer ones, it is almost pointless to get into. Yeah, exactly. Could this guy transfer because I mean, the starter's back? And to, he I mean, might, you know, to your point, in this era, yeah, to your point in this era of NIL, we would have to go transfer. through literally all 83 right. whatever players on the roster right. and be like, Oh, what could happen if this guy transfers? That's the thing. It's not just a world anymore where you transfer because you want more playing time or you transfer because you, your avenue to starting is quicker if you transfer to another school. It well, is now let's, transferring because you might be able way. to get a $50,000 pay At raise. At the end of the season, school. did you were you sitting there thinking, wow, Gage Keys might transfer? Did that ever cross No. <laughs> exactly. It did, not. it did not cross my mind. So, from those standpoints, those are different decisions. We'll cross those bridges when we get there. Um, but from the ones that have already happened, we do know that Melo Dotson is back, back for revenge. We think back for revenge. We do think back for revenge. Maybe. Um, I guess again, like the, the, the annoying part of the transfer portal. So it closes on like January 2nd, it'll open back up in the spring. And, And like at any point, any player who says I'm coming back could then all of a sudden get approached on a random day by, some SEC school who's like, hey, we'll pay you a million dollars to transfer here. And then at that point, you're kind of screwed. But from, again, that's another cross the bridge when it happens scenario. Yeah. Until that happens, Melo Dotson back. So that's a big back for you. Jalen Daniels, back. Is his back back, though? That remains uh, to be seen. That's a good question. Is his back 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 to being fully back? <laughs> yes. Who knows? For next season. Right. So, uh, but yeah, we know he'll be uh, back on the team next year. I think uh, Lance Leipold said in the post game, Luke Grimm will be back for next season. That's good. And, and uh, I think that actually kind of makes sense because if if you, 
Remember, Luke Grimm and Jalen Daniels specifically, I think, spare a, yes. a, share a pretty special connection. Those guys, when they're on the field together, they can create lightning at any moment, it seems like. They seem to have a really, really strong rapport. And, and obviously, from Luke Grimm's perspective, you, you, you know, Jalen, uh, Jason Bean ended up being the quarterback for a good chunk of the season. And so for Luke Grimm to have a chance to say, okay, I can come back and then and play with Jalen again, that would be a reason why I would want to come back. That makes sense to me. Yeah, really good connection there. So it uh, absolutely makes sense that that, that would be the case. Um, we also, I guess we don't know for we're, sure. We're for pretty sure. sure. But, but I'm like 98% sure Austin Booker's gone. Yes. Because. So I think we had this conversation off air about the idea of. We might have had Have there been yesterday. guys that have opted out of games. Like opted out of a bowl game. And then came and then back came for another back. year. There might be. And it is getting out of hand with the players opting out. Because back in my generation. Players only opted out when yeah five years they were going to be a first or second round pick or third round pick. Now guys are opting out when I'm like you're not even going to play in the NFL. Like Joe Milton, Tennessee opted out. What the hell? That dude stinks. Uh, that dude's not even going to play in the CFL. He's got a big arm though, but he does stink. That's what I don't understand. If if you're not like supposed to be like a day one or day two pick, wouldn't you want to have one game on a standalone, which all the bowl games basically are on a standalone game on ESPN, where if you have a big performance, it helps your draft stock. Well, I, I don't almost, get that. I almost wonder if you sort of answered that question on your own earlier when you said maybe there are guys out there that are thinking, "Hey, I might be transferring, and I can get a big NIL payday." Maybe. But if I play in the bowl game and I get hurt, then I don't get a big NIL payday yeah. either. I guess that's possible. I don't know. And that would be a whole nother level of annoyance, I guess, to be completely honest. Like, like with Dominic Pooney, like, I get it. He might be a third-round pick. He, he really might, you know? Yeah. Like, I get that. that yeah. That's totally cool. Totally fine. Like, Joe Milton, you're not getting drafted, bud. What are you doing? Maybe. Why, why are you sitting out the game? I don't know. What do you think the signing bonus is to get drafted in the seventh round? 50000 That's 50000 more than what I got. But also, they have these like insurance policies you can take out. Oh, okay. Playing the bowl game. Anyway, I don't know. I didn't mean to devolve this into into Derek yells at Cloud. Uh, but seriously, should, uh, we, should we create a segment of the show <laughs> called Derek yells at Cloud? Back in my day, yeah. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> we have nagging Nick. We haven't done that in a while. Oh yeah, we haven't done what's nagging, nagging Nick. Nick. Wow. I've been relatively nag free lately. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. What's destroying Derek? You could really get me. As well. You could really get me going, though. It's not hard mm-hmm. to find stuff that nags me. I think over the course of every show. Um, anyway, Austin <laughs> Booker, because you have that situation where you know it just feels like he's going to be gone one way or another, NFL or transfer or something. Again, as we said yesterday, Lawrence Arnold at one point seemed like he was about to enter the transfer portal, and the staff convinced him to come back. Jason Bean was about to call it quits on his football career. Staff convinced him to come back. So maybe there is an outside shot that, that they're able to do it. That's where I'm leaving the 2% open, but most likely I think he's uh, probably gone. The other one, which is the inverse of that, which is like it signs are pointing to he is coming back, yeah. but it, there's still a slight opening that it's not, is Devin Neal. Yeah, it does seem like he is back. There's the Pete Thamel report that he's back. Correct. VSPN yep. and Thamel's been pretty plugged in with the KU program. Keep in mind, yes. Thamel has been, it's been like Thamel and McMurphy who have been the ones who always break like the KU quarterback stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but has not been a confirmation from Devin Neal. Has not been a confirmation after the game. Lance Leipold said, I'll leave that to Devin. Sure. Yeah. Um, it does seem like it's trending towards 
they want him to have be able to make his make his own. Yeah, out. and maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's it's it got leaked out, and then there's backtracking to allow him to, you know, submit the decision himself. Yeah. Maybe there is a level of somebody jumped the gun and, and he hasn't fully decided whether he's coming back or not. I don't know. I think right now. I mean, if, it's a tough decision. It is a tough decision. If And it's definitely something you want to take your time with. Yep. And he certainly is one of those guys where a lot of times it is a easier decision. I don't know. Easy is not the right word. But, like, it is a more clear-cut decision of, okay, you should go. This is why. Or you should come back. This is why. Like, there, there's usually more to one side than there is the other. With Devin, it really is a 50-50 thing because think about yeah. it. Like, it's like, oh, starting your clock in the NFL when you're a running back and you only have a limited amount of years, that's smart. And, you know, you still had a really good year. You could go maximize your draft stock. Like, even if Devin comes back and runs for 1,400 yards next year, is his draft stock improving that much? Probably not. Like, is he going to go from being, I don't know what he is now, like third, fourth, fifth round pick, to being a first or second round pick? Probably not. Probably still look at the same range for your draft stock. So from that standpoint, it makes sense to go. But it also makes sense to stay because you can get a lot of NIL money and you could break career records. And, you know, when you look back in, in 30 years, of course, there's a chance he could be an NFL superstar. But uh, there's there's also a chance it's really hard to do that. And you could be known for being the guy who is all-time KU's rushing leader, especially for a local guy. So there's that standpoint. And there's the standpoint of wanting to, you know, maybe take KU to a playoff or, or, or Big 12 titles, right? There's a 50-50 on that one. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. But there are other ones that are still needed, too. Would you classify Lawrence Arnold and Quentin Skinner? Maybe more Maybe. Arnold than Skinner. I don't know that Maybe. Skinner has the production to have a chance at, at, at the NFL. NFL. I think no. if Lawrence Arnold did enter the NFL draft, he would have a shot at being a day three pick. I feel like Quentin Skinner would need to add a little bit more weight. Probably. Yeah. That's but probably I, I think Arnold's... If he did enter, especially if he impressed in the workouts and stuff, sure. would have a chance to be a day three pick. Sure, but if you're Lawrence Arnold, you come back another year. You know, let's let's say it's bombs away all season next year for KU passing the ball. Yeah, what if he has nine thousand nine hundred yards? What if he has a thousand yards? You know, that'd and then pretty, you're looking at cool. a, a secure draft pick and and everything that that kind of comes with it. Yeah, um, I'm assuming Arnold's going to be back, and I, yeah, but. I guess you never know. Uh, obviously, he is a new father. That's been, you know, out in the public. What does that do in terms of, does it make you want to start a professional career? Maybe. Does it make you more likely to stay at Kansas? Because you're like, hey, if I go to the NFL right now, I'm not seen as a, a for sure draft pick. That would be risking it. I would get a for sure paycheck of NIL here sure. at KU. Yeah. And for that standpoint, I'm staying. Um, Kobe Bryant. Announced today that he's going to be announcing January 1st, uh, the announcement yes. of the announcement. The classic announcement mm -hmm. of the announcement. Yes. Announcement of the announcement. And that's and obviously, I think, the biggest one. It is. Up at this point, mm -hmm. where it's still one way or the other. Uh, because he has a, he, had a, he had a good bowl game, certainly. And I think Kobe Bryant's the type of player that definitely sees himself as going to the NFL. And so the question is... Does he want to do that right now, or does he maybe want to come back and contribute to the possibility of everything you kind of outlined with De with Devin Neal? Where sure. you know, I mean, as much as you just outlined all this stuff with Devin Neal, a guy like Kobe Bryant could have the same could make the same argument. Like, hey, you know, I could be I could come back and be the leader of a defense that helps KU go that far. And uh, it, it's not quite the same, um, 
Devin Neal has a great shot to break the career rushing record if he comes back. It would be very hard for Kobe to break the career interception record because Ray Evans had 17 of them, and right now Kobe has nine. And with the the way teams don't really throw at him, it's it's hard to end up with a billion interceptions. But he can match what Aqib Tlaib did. I don't know if that matters to somebody. I don't know if that matters. Like, if I was a corner, it would matter to me. That'd be a pretty cool company to keep because he's only four back of, of Aqib Tlaib's career. And I know Aqib Tlaib did it in three years and, you know, all that stuff. But still, that'd be a pretty cool number to get to. But you also understand if he goes. And um, I've been a little bit surprised, to be completely honest, that I haven't seen Kobe skying up draft boards more than I thought. I think he'd definitely be a draft pick. Um, I, I, If he does well in workouts, I could even see him being a day two draft pick, right? Yeah. Um, I wonder how much his weight maybe makes NFL scouts shy away a little bit. And that's what I've wondered, but I've mentioned this before, and, and maybe this is— So the, the guy from Mississippi State yes. that got drafted— He was 16th overall. Yeah. Or, or no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at uh, the 2022 draft. It was— he got, he got drafted by oh, Washington. Oh, 16th overall. Yeah, well, that's got, weird. The Commanders did the 16th pick back to back years. Oh, that is the epitome of mediocrity. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, anyway, Emmanuel Forbes is the kid's yeah. name. Yeah. He is a. He went 16th overall to the Commanders. And he is. Oh, what did he measure at the combine? He was like 170 or maybe even less. Yeah, he measured six foot and three quarters. I wonder yeah. how tall Kobe Bryant. That is. three quarters matters. It does matter. I mean, Kobe's listed as six one, so I, I don't know. It might be taller, or it might be six foot and three quarters rounded up six one. I don't know. Um, and Emmanuel Forbes was hundred and sixty six pounds. Oh, even less. Yeah. Kobe is listed at one seventy. That's not accurate. It might be lower. So who knows? But still, I mean, there, there are some, and, and part of it would depend how you do in the workouts and and how you measure with your arm length and. All that sort of stuff. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes ran a four three five. Can Kobe run? You know, a four four. Can he run a four three five? Right, that would be part of it. What does he do in the vertical jump? What does he do in the broad jump? Uh, Forbes also was a. He had fourteen interceptions in three years, and I think he broke the NCAA. Yeah, he holds the NCAA record for most like career pick sixes. He has six of them. So there is some extra stuff there. But my point being. You have a corner who is six foot, one hundred sixty six pounds, who went sixteenth overall last year. Why can't Kobe be a second round pick, right? So I have been a little surprised, and I do wonder if he does enter, if his stock does rise, because I do think he's someone that if people started watching more tape of, it would go up a little bit. So he does have a tough decision too. Yeah, but yeah. if he does come back, and I think definitely, I know it's hard for corners to win it because they don't get the counting stats, but like he'd be on a short list for Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, and to like, me at least. It's it's the most consequential decision left for from Kansas's perspective. I mean, assuming Devin Neal is coming back, Kobe Bryant is is the next most significant one still left up in the air at this point in terms of what he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know I'm sure Katie would love to have him back, and that would be a big big addition for next season. And then all of a sudden, you've got a very very veteran secondary that's going to be really the anchor of your defense because depending on what happens in the portal. The D line and the linebacker rooms for KU are going to look different next year, and it's and it and it could there could be a bit of a transition. But if you know you've got a very very veteran laden secondary to rely on, and elite corners on both sides, that would be very significant yeah. for Kansas. Um, the other one that I kind of want to throw in there just because I'm curious on is Michael Ford. 
I don't know that he's gotten the hoopla and the hype that he's deserved. He had an unbelievable season. He was one of the highest-rated offensive guards. I think number two for guards in the Big 12 this year. He had a great season. He is a redshirt junior this year, which means he can have another year. He'd be a redshirt senior if he comes back next year. But that would mean technically, and I guess you never know, like some guys graduate in five years, some guys graduate in three, like you don't know. But in theory, if he was on pace for everything, he would have, he would be graduating by the end of the year. Sometimes that can make decisions easier for guys that they're like, oh, I'm more willing to go pro because I do have my degree and I'm willing to take that risk in the NFL, even if I'm not supposed to get drafted because I do have my degree. So it's not like I have to come back to get that. Um, I wonder if he would have any stock or if he would go. I've been kind of expecting him back this whole time. But again, another one that I'm kind of just curious to uh, see what happens there. So those are the big decisions to come. Kobe, we have a timeline on January 1st. Uh, which means we'll hear from him on, uh, I guess that'd be Monday. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. Could Kansas finish the season ranked? We're going to discuss next. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.